Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. and welcome to the latest episode of Black Hole Cinema with your host Tony Black. Now hopefully you'll notice a slight difference in sound quality this time round because I am actually using a newly purchased microphone. Now I've been threatening to do this for a while to get myself some actual recording equipment and today I took the plunge and got some so hopefully that means that the sound quality will be a little better on these podcasts and it'll all sound a little bit smoother. We'll see about that. Any feedback on that would be very useful. This episode, we've got the usual rundown of films I've been watching over the last week, which I'll get to in a moment. But just to let you know, we've got two brand new reviews of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and The Raid 2, so it's sequel time. And I say we... Because I am joined in this episode by my friend Matt Latham, who you will hear chime in a little bit later on. So yeah, this is a bit more of a conversational podcast. After my brief rundown of what I've been watching, as I threatened. And this is going from Sunday the 13th of April. And over the last week I've watched quite a lot of films because I've been off work. So, and my uh, girlfriend has been on holiday, so I've had a lot less to occupy my time. And I started last Sunday with Braveheart, which is a obviously an epic that I've never what never watched. Strangely enough, to my utter surprise, and it didn't really turn out to blow me away. Actually, Braveheart. Strangely enough, I'd heard. For many years about how it was this fantastic epic, you know, one of Mel Gibson's best. And it was good, don't get me wrong, but I just found it a bit overblown and, and silly in places. And didn't quite live up to the hype, sadly. Nor did Mad Max, which I watched afterwards. And Mad Max is even more celebrated as a classic piece of Australian cinema. And that was a really odd one. Because even though it's recognisably unique and wonderfully absurdist in many ways it just doesn't have a proper story for me it has this really strange midsection where it just completely loses focus and I, I i just could not get into it i found myself distracted so i was a bit disappointed by mad max it didn't really blow me away in the way i wished it had done so those are my two sunday night films the monday the 14th i began the day i've got this habit right now of reading um of reading of watching films on my ipad because I've got Sky Go, so I can watch films on my iPad in the mornings, 
when I wake up before I get out of bed. And I've done that a couple of times. And it, or when I go to bed. And I started with the Lorax. Dr. Sayers is the Lorax. Uh, <laughs> randomly, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to mix it up. I'm trying to watch things that aren't traditionally my kinds of films and different ranges and genres and things like that. And the Lorax was just a very bland animation. You know, it, it it didn't really have anything new going on. Very much a conservationist theme. Looked good, but just bored me, quite frankly. So I don't recommend the Lorax. And then on the night, I watched one of the big... I've, I've been trying to get off my Sky Plus box quite a lot of the big, long epics. And I watched Apocalypse Now, which I'd never seen, to my shame. Because it is... As many people have said, and I'm, you know, just preaching to the converted, I'm sure, it is one of the greatest films ever made. I was utterly transfixed by Apocalypse Now all the way through. And especially the ending when Marlon Brando comes in is just phenomenal. And the next thing I want to do is seek out all the behind the scenes stuff about how Francis Ford Coppola went mad and Martin Sheen had a heart attack and all this kind of thing about it because it is fantastic so if you haven't seen apocalypse now you need to because i i, I was lacking you know lacking not seeing that film myself so i went from one extreme then to another because then i finished the night watching frankenstein's army or at least attempting to watch frankenstein's army which is this really low budget found footage horror but actually a really really good premise you know set in the war a group of nazis discover no a group of soviets i should say discover a random nazi scientist creating Frankenstein's monsters but it's it's awful I couldn't sit through it I couldn't get through it I had to give up because it was just badly filmed badly written and there was some good creature effects from what I saw but I, I was just absolutely cripplingly bored maybe it didn't help that I was exhausted as well I don't know but I really I don't think I think life is too short to try that one again so then on the 15th I got through quite a few films I started off with Another one early in bed, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, which is by Arbman Animation. And it's an absolute joy, that film. I really, really enjoyed that one. It reminded me of Monkey Island, the Monkey Island video games by Ron Gilbert. And it was just buckets of fun with lots of good English cast members doing the voices. Uh, Hugh Grant as this really blundering pirate captain. And the animation was just fantastic. Story-wise, it's a bit hit and miss sometimes, but animation, it was wonderful. So that's a great one to watch. After that, I followed that up with Anna Karenina, the uh, Joe Wright uh, version of Tolstoy's piece of Russian Russian literature. And it was okay. It was very middling. Production-wise, it looked gorgeous. It was more Wright showing off what he can do on the visual side, really, than anything else. It was a bit dull in places. Although Kira Knightley was surprisingly good. I'm not really a fan of hers normally, but she was actually really good in that. Um, and the cast did, did a decent job. So could have been a lot better than it was. Then I sat down and I watched Avatar. Now, I haven't seen Avatar since the cinema when I watched it in 3D. And I came out extremely underwhelmed from a film that I was so excited about. I remember being really impressed by the 3D. In fact, it's one of the few films, if not the only film, where I think 3D has had any point to it so far. And I watched it again and I had all the same problems. I thought it was gorgeous beautiful looking it still hasn't been equaled by any kind of filmmaking on a visual side yet even even five years later nearly you know no one can top james cameron for that what they can do is top him for everything else because it, it it's the script is bad the performances are wooden the characterization is non-existent and it's just completely reliant on its visuals so avatar still is a three-star film when it could have been and should have been a five-star really 
Following that, I watched a really good one called The Last Samurai with uh, Tom Cruise. One of Tom Cruise's better films about um, an American um, soldier who, in the Civil War, who goes over to Japan to help train the army against a rebellion. And ultimately, he ends up... It's a bit like Avatar in the sense they're both about soldiers who go over to a the side that appear to be rebels who turn out to have a better cause than the the army itself. And this one's just got a great performance by Tom Cruise, not showy as normal, really well shot by Ed Zwick, great supporting cast, just just quality across the board, good script, pace lovely, really, really good film. I really recommend The Last Samurai, and it's when it's great, it's great. I watched another good one to finish the day off as well, uh, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Now, that's far, far better sequel. It goes into the um, the pantheon of films where the sequels are much better than, than the first films, and there aren't that many of them. There's not that many in that list, but Mad Max 2 I put in there. You know, it was like a, a, fu- a neo-futuristic western, Mad Max 2, and it's, it's really good. It positions Mel Gibson more as like a man-with-no-name kind of western figure, and it's just got a really thrilling, pulse-pounding story all the way through. And it's really crisp and live. It does everything that Mad Max did right properly and for the whole film. So Mad Max 2 is a cracker. Then the 16th, the Tuesday, I watched a lot. The Wednesday, I should say, I watched a lot of films. Started off in the middle of the morning, actually, with Cujo, the adaptation of the Stephen King horror. That was a, that was a bizarre one because it really was quite underwhelming. It's a really good story, Cujo, about a St. Bernard that just gets rabies and goes mental and starts killing people but the film itself was really slow paced and draggy and very 80s that Cujo could could do with being remade because it's a great story and it deserves a bit better than that film following that I watched King Kong another one of the big epics the Peter Jackson remake in 2005 and again a bit like Avatar it's one of those films that looks really good has the best of intentions but is let down by story and characters quite often King Kong the actual character and the and the, the visual side of King Kong, there is no, you know, equal. It's fantastic, but the film itself doesn't. It certainly shouldn't be three hours long. It's really, really long. It doesn't have to be. It's Peter Jackson just being given too much rope, even though it's his passion project, and you can tell it's his passion project, and it looked great. It's just not one of his best, I'm afraid. Following that, I then went back in time to a classic I hadn't seen, The Poseidon Adventure, which is one of those cheesy uh, classic movies that people. Uh, often talk about and the, the Poseidon Venture I, I, I really quite enjoyed you know it was a great performance by Gene Hackman um, as this really grisly preacher reverend who ends up trying to save the day and it's, it's very cheesy you know and it's, it's very 70s and completely daft but it was it's a lot of fun and it looks very it looks, it looks good the way the stunts are filmed and everything like that it looks really good so if you haven't seen one that one check it out one not, not to check out is the one I watch next which is Oz and the Great and Powerful the prequel to The Wizard of Oz by Sam Raimi. Now, you know, immediately you're already in tricky territory when you're trying to do something in the Wizard of Oz universe because the Wizard of Oz is, I think it's agreed by almost everybody in the world, one of the greatest motion pictures that will ever be made. There is no equal to the Wizard of Oz. It is up there with the best ever. So trying to tap that wellspring is very, very tricky. And unfortunately, Oz the Great and Powerful just is not any good. It looks visually quite impressive, if quite gaudy, but... It's just miscast across the board. You know, Rachel Weisz is awful as, as the Wicked Witch. James Franco just phones it in. He looks vaguely embarrassed. And it just, it's Sam Raimi proving that when you give Sam Raimi too much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, he had the same problem with the Spider-Man films, most of them anyway. 
same problem here. One to avoid. Following that, I watched Ray, the uh, biopic of Ray Charles with Jamie Foxx as Ray. And that was, that was a good one um, by Taylor Hackford, a passion project of Taylor Hackford. It took him many years to get made. Gorgeous music. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ray Charles. I love all that swing, bluesy R&B stuff from the 60s, 50s and 60s. I love all that. I'm massively into that kind of stuff. And Ray, Jamie Foxx is an absolute revelation as Ray. You know, he, he's absolutely phenomenal. I, I believe he won a Best Actor Oscar for Ray. Oh, he was nominated for one. He's, he's truly brilliant. You know, he embodies Ray perfectly. And he had Ray Charles' seal of approval as well. He, Ray Charles said yes to Jamie Foxx after they... Uh, he met him and they started jamming um, and Ray encouraged Jamie to keep up with him by playing, getting him to do this free-forming Thelonious Monk uh, <laughs> jazz, which is crazy, but it worked. And the film itself is a bit all, a bit baggy and a bit hit and miss in places, but it, it, it sounds wonderful and it's, it's got the best of intentions, so that was a good one. I then finished the day with after this epic watch with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, completing the Mad Max trilogy. And that wasn't as good as two, but I liked it more than one by a fraction because it, it's, it's the most Hollywood of them all, really. And it's got an awful performance by Tina Turner. And it's got this weird sort of Lost Boys from Peter Pan subplot, which is really strange, um, that ends up feeding into everything. But it, it looks quite good. It's got a really good fight in the eponymous Thunderdome. And it's, it's decent. It's decent, um, but nowhere near as good as the second one. The day after, I because uh, I was out at the cinema and I only got a chance to watch one film, uh, which was Gangs of New York on the Thursday, uh, and that's obviously Martin Scorsese's uh, historical epic about the mid nineteenth century formation of, of what we know to be New York today. And that that was that was an interesting one. I mean, it, it, it's not one of his best. I think it was quite slow and dragged a bit, but it has some really good things going for it. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis as ever is 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 really really good. Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't as great as he normally is, but Cameron Diaz was. She was excellent as this wench kind of girl. Uh, but it's mainly the production design of Gangs of New York, and they, you know, they recreated an entire 19th century New York in Rome at Cinecita Studios, and it looks incredible. You know, I've rarely seen a set so amazing as that. There's like a mile's worth of, of whole town built, and you can see it. So it's, it was very impressive, if not brilliantly paced and, exci- and interesting and exciting. The next day, um, it's biopic, biopic days really right now because um, yes, yesterday, as when I'm recording this, I watched two. I started with Ali, which is the Michael Mann biopic of Muhammad Ali, which was quite hit and miss. Similar to Ray, although Ray's a bit better, but similar to the Ray in that it was, plot-wise, it was baggy and a bit episodic and a bit all over the place. But again, Will Smith was fantastic as Ali. It's his best performance he's ever given. And he, he, he himself has said that. And he's going he's gonna to work after work hard to top that because he really does embody Ali. And he's, it's a really interesting story about race relations and the civil rights movement and things like that. So it's got a lot going for it, but it doesn't quite hang together perfectly and it's not Michael Mann's best film. Following that, I then finished the night with probably my favourite film of the week after Apocalypse Now, obviously, which is the best of the week. But I watched Lincoln, which was the... Uh, latest film by Steven Spielberg with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as uh, Abraham Lincoln and I thought it was a fantastic film, I really did it has Lincoln in the last few months of his life trying to get the abolition of slavery law passed and it's, it's a very procedural you know, law based 
talky drama, really. It's not, you know, it's it's not. It's less a biopic and more that kind of thing. And it, it's very dense. The script is excellent. It's very compl- complex. Um, it's like a it's like a nineteenth century West Wing sometimes. But it was it was absolutely it was thrilling and addictive. And Daniel Day Lewis, it, it it could be his best performance. And that, by God, is saying something. Because his Lincoln is astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. He apparently read something like 100 books on Lincoln before he took the part. <laughs> and you can tell. And it's so good that apparently he's actually unofficially retired because he doesn't really know how he can top that performance. And I, you know, you can't help but wonder. So yeah, Lincoln's fantastic. Really worth seeing. And then today I've watched two films. Godzilla or I attempted to watch all of Godzilla. I didn't get through all of it in the end. I rewatched the 1998 version of Godzilla which is arguably the worst film I've watched all week. And it, it's, I'd forgotten just how rubbish that film is, you know, on every level, CGI, acting, script especially, which is atrocious. It's, it's Batman and Robin levels of bad in places. It's just really, really bad. And considering Roland Emmerich has made some schlocky films, I don't think he's ever made one as bad as Godzilla. And then I watched Argo, which is a film I've been looking forward to seeing for a while. Uh, which is Ben Affleck's uh, effort about the 1979 Iranian crisis and this really quirky, quite quirky story of a CIA operation to get these hostages out of Iran by going over and pretending to shoot a science fiction film. And it's it's it sounds a lot more comic than it is, um, and it's it's quite it's a lot more tense and serious than that, really. But it does have some really good black comedy in it, and Ben Affleck's never directed better yet. And I'm not, I don't necessarily think it deserves getting Best Picture at the Oscars, but it deserved it for the script because the script was brilliant. Um, but it's really good. Yeah, Argo, cracker. So um, it's been a varied lot of things this week. It's been quite a lot of good films I have watched this week, really, because I've been clearing off some classics. So I'm quite happy with quite a lot of what I've watched uh, this week, and I've got through quite a few films. I'm hoping I'll be able to do the same next week. So uh, we shall see. Okay, I'll stop talking at you now and I'll hand over to myself and Matt Latham for this week's reviews. Okay, it's time to start with two brand new reviews and I'm joined uh, to help me with this in a rare occurrence by my good friend, Mr. Matt Latham. Hello, Matt. Hello. And uh, Matt and I have just come back from seeing uh, the first film we went to see. We've been to see two films this week. Uh, We'll be talking about The Raid 2 later, but we've just come back this afternoon from seeing The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Every day I wake up knowing that the more people I try to save, the more enemies I will make. And it's just a matter of time before I face those with more power than I can overcome. I'm so sorry, I'm late. Traffic thing. Did your traffic jam have anything to do with being, I don't know, shot at by machine guns? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was implying. I was implying that. <laughs> Matt, what's what's the st- what's the story of Amazing Spider-Man Two? Do you want to just sum it up? Yeah, basically follows on from the first Spider-Man film, oddly enough, where where Peter Parker now spy- Spider-Man for like. An indeterminate amount of time. I don't know whether it was it's a couple of years. I don't think it's been roughly. I think. It's roughly. Well, he's graduating now. I can't remember where he was in the first film, but he's been Spider-Man for a while. He's quite comfortable in the role. He's currently dating uh, Emma Stone, and oh. getting getting and still having visions of 
basically her dad would never <laughs> not, 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 in, not in the weird way <laughs> yeah. it's not no, in the weird yeah. way but <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that thank yeah. god get visions of his dad who he kind of still feels guilty mm. guilty about if you haven't watched the first film spoilers uh, yeah. basically his death and um, it pretty much picks up from um, some random electrical worker from the company Oscorp becoming the evil electro and he's played by Ray Charles well, although, Jamie Foxx although it's known as Jamie Foxx yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of subplots that come into play that we'll talk about in a minute and it all builds up to a finale and a it, direction it, for the third film it has a finale yeah wow that's, yeah. that must be a good it has film. a climax as well yeah. it, oh, ooh, wow that's, let's not bring Dennis Leary into it again um, <laughs> is, is it any good though I mean that, that's, that's the biggie you know is it, is, it, is it as good as the last one is it, is it as good as the one two years ago no I think it was better than the Amazing Spider-Man. I I liked the Amazing Spider-Man. I just I didn't like it as much as I think a lot of other people did. I think I think you liked it more than I did. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think but a lot of the stuff that made me like the first one, it's it's still apparent in the second, and the second has an original plot and story to follow this time. My big my biggest bugbear about the first one was that. I've never seen any any film try and sidestep over key plot details before as ba- badly as that one because it's trying to reboot the franchise. It's trying to tell the exact same story more or less as the first film, the first Sam Raimi film. Mm. And, but it's got to hit certain beats that need that is so well defined in the Spider-Man mythos that it's trying to do the same thing but in a c- certain way. So you've got. Uncle Ben's death, spoiler, <laughs> that um, is done in kind of a slightly hackneyed way, and the whole great power, great responsibility section gets a little bit... It doesn't sound as well as it, as it did in the original Sam Raimi film. But with this one now, you've got pretty much it's free reign to tell an, tell an original story. And, OK, it's got slight elements from the Raimi films again, but it's in a lot more detached way. It doesn't feel like it's trying to tell the same story. It does have that that to it, alongside Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, who were probably the best things about the first film. Yeah. And still the best things about this film as well. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's as good as the first one, simply because the first one, you're absolutely right in that it really tries to sidestep mm-hmm. Sam Raimi and what he did in the original and one. It was too soon to reboot, do the reboot yeah. story, really. But things, a lot, but there are still parts of the, the first Amazing Spider-Man film that pretty much still feels like it's beat for beat from the first one. There's, there's a scene where I think Ryan Fance basically argues with himself in the mirror or something similar to that, which mm. is which exactly very similar scene, very similar rhythm to William, not Defoe, Willem Dafoe, Willem yeah. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. That scene where he's pretty much arguing with him, his self is very much echoed in the same film again. It just felt beat for beat, like he'd seen it just about ten years before, and mm. it didn't read that well. And I was kind of hoping to see a lot more of original spins on stuff. And this, and I think we've kind of got that this one, especially with like a, a, an original villain. Mm. You can, you, it take, it does take the story naturally further and it, it, it you know like you said it starts with Spider-Man more confident he's more at ease in his role he's zipping around the city yeah. it's, 
It's very much like, like Maguire Spider-Man in Star Spider-Man yeah, as well. it it's, is. He does, I think, an emotional toll. He probably doesn't... The emotional toll in Spider-Man 2... Uh, the Raimi Spider-Man 2 is probably a bit more of a... It's a bit more of an exploration of Peter Parker's emotional mm. state than this one. For certain reasons, we'll probably talk about in a second. Well, the, 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 problem, the problem I had with this, and it's... I, I liked it. I did enjoy it. And I think we both enjoyed it. It's not at all high up on the best comic book film lists no. at all, right? It's, there's nothing in here that is punched the air exciting in any way. Not even the set pieces. You know, they are... They're good. They're entertaining. They're nothing more than that. And, I, but the, the re- and there is one component in it that is fantastic, and I will get to that in a minute. But the problem I had with this was that... Well, two things. Firstly, I wasn't sure if it was intentionally cheesy and dumb or not. Yeah. Because it is both. The, the, the amount of times I... In- I didn't really want to, but then I ended up start. I started talking what you do usually, and started speaking like little mystery science theatre through thousands yeah. of through it. Which is one of the things that I think I've talked about before on this podcast that me and um, my friend Lee Crimes have done, especially, and yeah. that we do it as well a bit. Is that when something's not quite working, we start noticing things that make us laugh and mentioning things that make us laugh. Yeah, and I'd say roughly about halfway in, we started doing that, didn't we? Yeah, and, there's, um, and <laughs> we there's, did. there is there is what there's. There is one very out there component, well, one of few out there components. There's a side character who's mm. a very cliched German scientist. Oh, God. Who has, who's, who's got the very, very Gestapo, <laughs> we have knees of digging your dark, very no. bad German accent. And you literally kept leaning into me going, Herr Flick, Herr Flick. <laughs> yeah. At which point it was, we were just off going, Zephalon Madonna, there's the big boobies <laughs> and all this. And it, it, but it Gestapo! Is, it, he is, he is that silly though. He yeah. is very, very, you know, and it, you know, even even Captain America: The First Avenger didn't have a character quite that stupid, and that was that set was, in the Nazis. And I, th- I think yeah. the foreign scientist was a lot more down to earth. Yeah, he was. That was Stanley Tucci. Was it? That was Stanley Tucci. Yeah, yeah. Was, and yeah, he actually had proper character. This guy just comes on and talks to Jamie Fox, going da da da. It's just yeah, it was oh, just. Man. But you see, the thing is, as I said to as I said to you, it. You know, the Spider-Man comics, from what I know, and I'm not, I'm not a big comic book guy, but I know enough to know that they're quite light-hearted anyway, and they, they are quite self, self-deprecating self to an extent, and Spider-Man as a character has that element of cheese, I think, that some of the other comics don't. And, you know, and so, but, uh, tonally, maybe it works in that sense. Kind of, but Spider-Man still... Um, I think as much as i read... I'm not a massive, massive die-hard fan of the comics. So mm-hmm. My Spider-Man comes from the cartoon series... A lot more, but I have read some of the like, bigger comics in the past, and I've read a lot of the Ultimate One, Ultimate Spider-Man comics. It, there is a lot of capacity for Spider-Man to get quite dark, and there are mm. there are like classic there are classic stories in Spider-Man history where it kind of gets quite dark, and he does go through some very emotion mm. quite emotional taxing times. Perhaps not, but he's probably not on the scope of what. Batman and character Bruce Wayne probably mm. can go through, but as much as lighthearted as he can get, there's still a lot of there's a lot of potential for some quite not dark stuff, but heartbreaking some, and yeah, tragic yeah, and and yeah, and you know it's, it's without spoiling anything, certainly that's where this is all heading now um, yeah. for Peter Parker. But the the other thing that that really didn't sit right with me was that was the disparate elements of it. Yeah. is that it felt like, you know, you've got this whole other subplot of Harry Osborne 
introducing the Osbournes in Oscorp, and that they were in the background in the first one, the first of these reboots anyway, the Mark Webb films, and it, it's that you know now you've got the whole story of Harry Osborne facing his father's death and coming to realise that he's he's dying basically like his father's dying and how is he going to combat that and he starts up and it's got that typical arc and he starts off a friend of Peter Parker and it's no spoiler to reveal by the end he's not and that's that's fairly well played and Dane DeHaan who's in Chronicle um, who's an up and coming young actor he's fairly good in the part in fact I think he's better than James Franco but oh yeah well I think one one of the elements of that is that James Franco was being James Franco yeah he was just playing James Franco Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it didn't really work but I think the you know the problem with that is you've got you've got this fairly light-hearted to an extent story with Spider-Man, and you know it's fair to say that the whole Jamie Fox Electro character is ridiculous. He's like a cross between Mister Freeze and Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen, yeah. and he's just he's. I like Jamie Fox as an actor. I think he's great. I don't see why he had to play this character. I don't think he was. He was yeah. about one. He's about three-dimensional. Nowhere near three-dimensional. Yeah, which one-dimensional is, which, silliness. Which again with. At least the first two Rangy films, the villains are actually quite as quite complex. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say this now, and I will defend the fact that I still think Spider Man Two is one of the better comic book movies. And I would agree. Yeah, mm. and 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 Doctor Doc Ock is still mm. one of the probably the villain to beat in Definitely. terms of emotional well emotional resonance because certainly he, in these films, yeah, because he, he was he was felt more of a, a character, yeah, as, that you could kind of believe turned into the villain, but then wasn't actually. Yeah, there's none of that. Yeah, with there's, Electra. there's a, yeah. Electra doesn't have any of that. He's very basic. There's, there, there are there are a couple couple of times at the start where you think they'll go that route. Yes, and and they try and do have some kind of depth to between well between Spider Man and Electro. But yeah. then something something happens halfway through, and then like it's like the subplot comes in and goes no no I'm coming in now yeah and comes and, it, and it's <laughs> it's yeah and it, it's. It's a, it's a plot, subplot that's been there and it's been ticking away, but it does end up taking over the whole thing. But it's trying to wedge quite a dark sort of through line into into different kind of tonal stories that don't fully work properly. And it builds to a climax, luckily, that works simply because of the best thing about this film and the thing that seriously is the only major reason to bother, right? Which is Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Because yeah. they are fantastic, and they, they, they are absolutely brilliant. They are, they are pitch-perfect casting. They're obviously together in real life as well, and you can tell. They've got absolutely fantastic chemistry, yeah. and it radiates off the screen. And and, ev- and you can, every scene between them is just... It's caught above yeah. everything else. I know, yeah. It, I, everything else. It knows when to start, doesn't end. Yeah. And usually, like, the whole... The original thing of, like, oh, when it first announced, with the first trailers, mm. um, it was highlighting all the, the romance between... Gwen and Peter mm. in the first film and there's a lot of people saying oh it's going to be like Twilight and it's not it's, it's not actually a lot it's a lot more dynamic it's a lot more dynamic a lot more do- Gwen Gwen as a character holds around a quite, she, quite well actually mm. considering considering that you, she could easily fall into basically comic book love interest oh god she's the best yeah. thing in it for me Gwen Stacy is the best thing in this and Emma, I mean I love Emma Stone anyway but she she creates a fantastic character with with her. She and every scene she's in, she makes Andrew Garfield even better. Yeah, right. And it's so it's that relationship that is the tether. And luckily, that's what makes this a good, yeah. a decent film. And actually, now saying that, I I, I need because the rest isn't isn't working. I don't fully. know. I I, ne- I need Not to mention. Fully. I need to mention um, Sally Field. I need to mention Sally Field. So I think that Sally Fields really. Yeah, she is. she is actually quite good. Yeah. And there's a couple of t- moments where she does. Okay, it's not on the harsh things, but there are like a lot of really good, honest moments mm. from Sally Field, and 
again, it's Andrew Garfield bouncing off her yeah. as well, and it's quite uh, moving. Moving, that's yeah. it. Very moving scene, and um, and yeah, there is one in particular between them that that's really well done, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. and it's got and it's yeah. like, and it's considering that the the keep advertising about like the secret past of Richard mm. Parker and all this kind of stuff. There's there's a there's a nice refreshing honest moment mm. that because I think they, they do they do try and they fail to to try and suggest briefly that May Parker is hiding something. Yeah, but, but in terms of the character of Aunt May, you really can't don't really want to do that, and and it's kind of like gives you trust back in the character and stuff, yeah. and as like an emotional. Like, so you kind of like still connect with it. And... It's it's got it's it's funny because it, it's almost like. The film it feels apologetic sometimes for doing those kind of things, and yeah. when it when it you know it's it's going look we've got all these explosions and we've got all this you know all this angst and we've got all this blah, orange blah, and blue orange yeah blue. orange and blue orange and blue yeah everywhere <laughs> all, you know oh, and if, 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 actually you know if you're one of these people that don't like the orange and blue thing <laughs> you're gonna yeah, yeah you're, you're gonna, gonna hate, hate this, this. You're you gonna really hate are this. you know and it's got all the flash and it's it's like but the the truth is this film is better is far better. When it's just about the characters and the little moments yeah. and the interactions, that, yeah. that's that's why that's the only major things that work properly. Everything else is decent, but it's but it's not. It doesn't fully click together. And for me, anyway, it's worth seeing, but it's not as good as the first one. Yeah, the, there's one bit actually. If, if this fails, cut this bit out. The, there is actually one bit I felt quite tense, and that's near the end where. And I think it's a lot more tense if you're if your background of Spider Man, if you know a bit more about your background of certain characters, then I think the tension's quite heightened because there's a certain point where you're thinking, Will they start to go down routes they've done in the past? And it actually gets quite tense because at one point I was actually my hands were together going my breath was I was holding my breath at one point. As was I actually. Yeah. And yeah. it's kinda of like, Will they be going down this certain route? Mm. And um, you can't say whether they do or don't. No, yeah, and because yeah, <laughs> it, it will give too much away. It will give too much away of the outcome. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, that 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 moment was actually really tense, and that was like mm. the actual the the bits around it was probably not as good as it should be. But for that moment, anyway, there's a good good amount of tension mm. that probably benefits a prior knowledge of the yeah, comic books. and it helps the climax of the film work far better than it had any right to actually. Yeah. So in conclusion, then. I'm I'm on the fence with it. I think it's worth your time, but I don't think it's as good as the last one. Would would you agree or would you recommend it? I still rec- I would recommend it mainly bec- mainly because I think it might lead to a, a better third film. I would agree with that as well. So I think the third. I think that if they can capitalise on this one, the third film is going to go into some really interesting yeah, places. Definitely. A lot better than the third Raimi film, which is still the worst Spider-Man film. They would have to be very, 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 very skilled to make a film worse than Spider-Man 3. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. Just don't expect amazing stuff. No, <laughs> I- expect ironically. everyone in the city know how it feels to live in a world without power, without mercy, without Spider-Man. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Next up then, we're going to go back in time slightly to Monday when we both went to see The Raid 2 or The Raid Berendal as it's uh, sometimes known as a subtitle which means thug in uh, Indonesia. It's a Raid 2 thug. Raid 2 thug. Yeah, which doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? But yeah, we, on Monday we went to see The Raid 2 after last Saturday my girlfriend and I watched The Raid on Netflix because we'd both been curious about uh, what it was like based on the fact The Raid 2 was coming out and I'd heard some great things. <laughs> I loved The Raid when I watched it on Netflix. I thought it was amazing. And then uh, you and I went out on a, in a, to a social event the night that night yeah. and I said do you want to come and see The Raid with me Raid 2 and you went well I've not seen The Raid I said right go and watch The Raid at which point you watch The Raid yeah I think it's the next day I know I sent you a text going yeah go with you yeah I'll um, come with you to the yeah because you thought it was really good didn't yeah. you as well so yeah went to see The Raid 2 and I think we both pretty much got the same reaction out of it didn't we in that yeah. we, we both came out the cinema thinking that was just pretty brilliant yeah you know so young people have that old old argument about and basically the same conversation where um, they go yeah but sequels aren't as good as the originals mm. right and then people say something like The Godfather Part 2 or Toy Story 2 yeah or what else um, Mad Max 2 which I've Mad recently yeah, been a convert yeah. to um, for my opinion anyway I, yeah, I think we've got another justifiable yeah film that's, that's better than the original well what it does is it, it, it deepens everything because Obviously, the original, if you've seen the original, it's an Indonesian action film so d- described, by, d- described by Gareth Evans, who, uh, who's ironically Welsh, but he's based in Indonesia, as a survival horror, right? Yeah. Set in a tower block, um, which basically there's a SWAT team going in, they take, they're trying to take down this uh, drug dealer and his criminal empire, which is part of a bigger empire. And, you know, they end up doing it, but my God, they are killed and beaten up along the way. And there's this great uh, guy called Ra... Ra- the, the head leader is called Rama, who's played by this um, brilliant martial artist, Indonesian martial artist called uh, Iko Ues. I, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he is... He's like the, the new Jet Li, Jackie Chan in the making, this guy. He's just phenomenal. And that was a very much, very pulse-pounding 90, 100 minutes of just c- complete carnage, wasn't it, really? The Raid Redemption. and it, But it ended with very much uh, the door being left open to this bigger story whereby Rama goes to take down the bigger villains behind what happened in The Raid. And that's where it pretty much starts with him being, I wouldn't say blackmailed, but he's effectively coerced, isn't he, really, by, by a cop who want, who's got this covert unit that's trying to take down corruption inside the police in order to go into and penetrate this major crime syndicate and get close to the son of the crime baron. Which is, and he ends up having to leave his family for what he thinks is months, but it turns out to be years. Go in, in prison, be, earn the trust of this gangster's son, in order to get close to the gangster, not, in fact, to take the gangster down, but to actually root out the cops that the gangster has in his pocket. <laughs> and even though this sounds very complicated, it's ironically not, is it? It's not as no, complicated as I'm making it sound. No, because it's... I think people, from the sound of it, people are probably expecting something like Infernal Affairs or yeah. something very complex. And I think The Departed, I think, because that's mm. a remake of that as well. Yeah, yeah, Probably yeah. multi-layered yeah. type mm. of thing. But it's actually quite easy to follow for, like, the most part. Mm. And the plot goes quite quickly. You can pretty much pick up on who people are. 
very quickly. Plot moves very, very smoothly for the majority, and it's a lot easier to follow mm. than you expect it to be. It's got it's got a it's it's got more depth than say the raid was very pulse pounding, but there wasn't much characterization. That was the one flaw we both had with the raid was that yeah. there wasn't it was so frenetic. It was brilliant in that sense, but it had, didn't have any much depth. This immediately corrects that because yeah, it's got the, well things that the first film you just had Rama and he had like like an emotional story for him in that. Yeah, but it's it's kind of kind of the only one, and mm. other characters didn't really have time to flesh out. Yeah. But basically, yeah. yeah. But in this, it, it, there's an argument, and I said we said this at the time. There's an argument to be said that this isn't necessarily as much Rama's film as it is the the gangster's son, who is yeah. Uko. His name is. It's it's as much his kind of film, and it's very much. I said to you, it reminded me of, of uh, Gladiator in the sense that yeah. it, it, Joaquin Phoenix's character in that Commodus, who's basically the rejected son of the Emperor, who wants Russell Crowe to be take over <clears> from him, and he ends up <throat> killing his father and. You know his cowardice and his you know ego overcomes everything. This guy's got a very very similar kind of story. Yeah. And it, it's 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 about him try, wanting to take control of this crime empire. But his dad is an old fashioned guy. He's very stuck in his ways. Respected, but this guy seems to want believe that he can, he can gain respect through fear, whereas his dad has done it through a far more steady process. And it is it, it's it's very much Gareth Evans. He clearly loves films, and he's clearly watched things like The Godfather. He's clearly watched things like Gladiator, and he's got all these influences that are in there. But he's managed to make something that is strangely unique, despite the fact that it's it's his crime epic. You know, it's his, yeah. well, and that's because that's what it is. That, it, that it is. It's a crime epic. Yeah, it's two I, and a half hours long. Yeah, to start. and I think what I'll just what I'll just realise as well mm. is that talking about this like dramatic crime family mm. uh, drama um, undercover thing. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that it's actually an action film with a bunch of kung fu scenes in it. And, and it's, and <laughs> that's, that's true, actually. And it's, we haven't mentioned that bit yet. No. And some of, one of, some of the best moments in the film are based on these really well done, well choreographed set pieces. They're incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's not, it's not ball-to-the-wall action all the way through. No, no, like, no. Because the first film, it was quite evenly spread out. So you yeah. had, like, the emotional build-up, then you had a lot more action bits. And it it was very much claustrophobic. It's not mm. claustrophobic this time. No, but The no. story kind of builds up and you kind of earn all these like brilliant action set pieces yeah. um, throughout. And when these action pieces come, oh man, some of the... Oh, well, I mean... Yeah, the, the, <laughs> me and Tony are just like breathing out and looking at each other, shaking our heads, just still trying to comprehend some of the stuff we Yeah, it, it, it's it's remarkable. And I mean, the, the, the climactic point as well, there's literally about four successive fight sequences it's like fight, it's, it's like a video game like the raid yeah. was like a video game but it's like a video game that you don't mind just watching you yeah. know and, but because you, you feel like you're playing it almost in a way because mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. it, it builds up you know you have your traditional sub-level bosses yeah you know um, you've got all your goons you fight off hordes of them and you've got yeah. a couple of sub-level bosses then there's the henchman then there's finally the boss yeah and it's different levels of intensity yeah. to the point that it builds to these like three or four separate fights beats yeah. at the end, and one of them, I mean, it's it's the it's, fight set in the kitchen. Yeah, it's it, that's that's like oh, the, big, the big end of game boss, kind of emotional. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like it's good. 50, it's got to be a good ten, it fifteen minutes. And it, the storytelling, I was telling it's you, remarkable. It's it looks and flows kind of. It's it's a wrestling match, mm. but in terms of like the WWE, how they can get a story through. The, the way it moves and the rhythm of certain with a good booked wrestling match 
you get a good story that can captivate an audience, and that's exactly what's happened here. Yeah, they they get the the fight sequences between the two. They kind of meet up early in the film, have a quick scuffle, and then you get the sense of dynamic, and you can tell they're going to fight again. Mm. And then when it kicks in, it's it slowly builds up into it starts slowly, and then you're kind of trying to guess what's going to happen and read yeah. the stuff. And there's just stuff in it in this fight sequence that it's just it's, it's mind blowing. The, the yeah. great thing about that as well is that the the, the the guy that he's fighting, he basically loses to earlier on, and that that's the instigating point. Yeah. And I remember saying to you when when he when he gets into this this uh, set piece and he's, he's facing this guy, I said to you, "Oh, this is this isn't going to be easy." Yeah. And it's one of those things that normally you expect, you know, your lead, especially when he's this kung fu master, to be able to just blast through people. And there's very rarely you you looking at it going, "He's he's he's, he's going to struggle." Yeah. Most of the time, you're like. Right, let's see if he gets past this. Let's yeah, see. But well, in this case, it was like, how the hell is he going to beat this yeah, guy? Yeah. And it was, I was genuinely there going, yeah, genuinely there going, is he, he more than likely is because he's the lead, but fucking hell, it's going to be hard work. Yeah, because <laughs> automatically, because it's the lead character, you know it's, it's the lead character and it's going to be, well, it's a henchman he's fighting, so you, you know he's going to eventually win. Yeah. But then it's, it's, but, it's genuinely like, considering the location, it's, Location and they don't use the location as much as I expected to be. Mm. It's a lot more physical. Yeah. And there's like the odd props used, and there's a great. But it's like a dance bottles. move, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's choreographed. It's like choreographed dance. like yeah. dancing, but with you know, people whacking each other. <laughs> but no, it's true. It, it is, it, and that's the difference between this one. There's, there's that that sequence as well is probably the best fight sequence I've seen in any film. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's up there for me. I, yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I watched one that was so... By the end of it, I, I remember literally leaning forward, ha- head, head in my hand going... What did I just how is, well, Yeah, I was just like... I was exhausted. I yeah. was exhausted and I was just watching yeah. it. Yeah, and it, but it, it, leads, and it leads you to like, the emotional payoff yeah, later on. Yeah, it does. And it, it's it's just one of those films that... You know, it's got it's garnered some criticism. There's certain people who are suggesting it's a bit too slow and it's baggy. I mean, it's very long, but it doesn't feel two and a half hours long. No, it doesn't. You know. the, in terms of the baggy section, there is there is a the only time I think it kind of slows down is that um, there's a section like a good twenty twenty five minute section mm. where it suddenly forgets who the main character is. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind that of true. But it, it eventually it does all pay off. Mm. You find everything all pays off eventually. Yeah. Just that it just seems like. They forgot to edit this subplot a bit yeah. earlier into the film. Yeah. So yeah. they just so they've got this subplot, but then they just introduce this subplot about an area into the film um, with this other character. Yeah. You don't see before, and it's it's played by an actor who's in the first film. Now I, I only found out it's not the same character, but it's the same actor. It's the same actor. Ah, that makes sense then. Because yeah, I was no thinking, I, reckon, I, reckon, I, reckon, I only saw the film the day before. And I'm like, mm. I'm sure that's that guy from the first film. Yeah. And I was, I was trying to remember whether they actually killed that guy off in the first film. Is, is it the same character? I, yeah, yeah, we were there going, and yeah, but that's interesting. I didn't actually know that it was the same actor. It, is, um, it was the same actor because I thought it was the same character. Yeah, first, yeah, so. we both did, didn't we? But no, you're right. It does. It does have that midsection that's you know it's a little bit baggy and that it doesn't it takes the focus off Rammer a bit. But like you say, it does all. But it, there is a reason. It, it, there is a logical reason for it all. Could have maybe been done a little bit better. It, but it, t- it ties into Uko's character. It Uko. does. Uko. 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 Sounds like a, a food store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it ties um, into the, the, yeah. the bad guys. Yeah. Most of stuff, and it pays off really well. And, that, and that's the thing. It, you know, it's it's got more than just action smarts. I mean, so did the raid, but the raid was far more of a, of a blistering kind of thrill ride. This has more depth. Probably because the fact that, that Gareth Evans actually originally m- intended to make this as his first film, his first major film after doing um, uh, an action film before, 
but he had to adapt because he didn't have the budget. He's got more money here. He's got more time to pace things. And it does feel like the pinnacle so far of what he can do. I'm really excited by this guy. I think he's got a real, real talent in terms of balancing some incredible action with proper emotion and good character. I just, I just think this guy's a real director to watch. Yeah. And, and, and so is the actor, the main actor. I think he yeah. will... You know, I, in a way, I don't want Hollywood to get the claws into him because yeah, they were watering down. Yeah, but you know, I think, and but it could happen. Yeah, and I, was, I remember saying to you when we was walking out, well, walking down Broad Street afterwards, just mm. deconstructing what we'd just seen yeah. and just trying to comprehend the amazingness we've just witnessed. Yeah, it was. Is that I think that Rama's probably going to be. He's, he's got to be up there with some of the best action heroes. Yeah. He's up there with Jimmy Clanes. He's he, up there with you. One of them. Oh, I forgot his name. I'm sure he he, was. He's, if he, yeah, um, Harry Tasker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If he's not, if he's not up there, he's very, very close. Yeah. And I think it will. It would be sold by if they if they do a raid three. And apparently, given it's, it's not done very well at the box office, that's not a certainty. But I think. If, I think. I think that's more of the wide release it's been getting. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about what it's been doing like in Indonesia, but mm. in terms, of, I don't know if it's got as successful wide release because it. It's got more of a distribution feel yeah. than it has the last one, so it will probably do better on DVD, yeah, and on Blu-ray. I, and word word of mouth, and it will become a bit of a cult. These films have already been a bit, a bit cult, but I think if they do a third one, a it will be more commercially successful, and b it will it will probably propel this guy and the character into real iconic status. The only the, the only sad point I'd say is that I imagine the US remake of the Raid, which is currently being inve- done or planned, will do far better. And it will probably become far more well known, yeah. and it won't be anywhere near as good. Trust me. <laughs> so, um, my advice to you, and I, I don't know if you'll echo me on this, is absolutely check out first the raid. It's on Netflix, and you, most of you probably have got. Yeah, it. Actually, no, you, yeah, you will need to watch the first. Yeah, one. watch the first one. You do need yeah, to watch. You it do because they do tie in very closely. You do need to watch the first one. You should watch the first one anyway because it's fantastic. Yeah. But then go and see this, and see it in a big screen as well because it, it really does impact. Yeah. Hell of a lot more on the big screen. Very much. And I will never look at a hammer the same way again. <laughs> That'll make sense when you see it. Okay, welcome back. And Mr. Latham hasn't quite left me yet, uh, because... Let me out. <laughs> He's tried to escape, but I've forced him to um, take part in this week's uh, section, where I get a friend in, and we talk about their favourite movie, which I've wanted uh, Latham to do for quite a while. And to be honest... Uh, his film doesn't really need much introduction, no. really. It is it is something that, you know, he, he quite often talks about to people he knows. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those films that has a lot of elements that, you know, he loves, yeah. you know. It's got, like, the attractive brunette, hasn't yeah. it? You know, it's got the uh, the interesting set pieces. It's got the humour. It's, it's just got, it's got that kind of almost sort of retro 90s feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. In a way. It's, it's, it's it's cult. It's a cult. It's definitely a cult yeah, film. Yeah. He honestly. I've got a massive emotional connection to it. He's got a massive emotional connection to it. He's, he's, it's just so the kind of thing you think of when you know you you, you speak to Latham about the films he has seen, and it's hardwired. And so it, this yeah. this film really needs no introduction, does no, it? No, not at all. So your no. favourite movie, Mr. Latham, is Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> and I can't hardly have waited much longer <laughs> to fool you all because you all thought that was going to be Demolition Man, didn't you? Didn't you? I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. He's been lying all this time. Yes, it, it is. It, it, he's talked about Demolition Man at length 
everywhere. So, and we know how much he loves that. But yeah, Can't Hardly Wait is one that I've known he lo- he's loved for a long time. And so have a lot of his, his friends. And again, it's one of the, it's a film I haven't seen. I've, I've just been introduced to the trailer and I know the general story. But it's a 90s teen comedy, isn't it? So, yeah, from 98. 98. Yeah. So, tell us, why is this your one of, one of your favourite films? Where do I start? No, it's got Sylvester At the Stallone. top. Yeah. At the top. Well, Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Wrong one. Wrong one. Wrong one. I don't know. Really. I just remember watching... I remember... I think it was... I don't know. I can't remember how long ago it was now. I remember just flicking through Sky Movies. And, and it just came, it just came on. Because I remember it being advertised. Actually, it was part of... It was part of, like, an advert for the movie channels. And I remember seeing clips of Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. Did you not there. see this when it came out the cinema, then? No. Because you would have been, what, 13? Thirteen. Yeah, um, Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, when that yeah. came out. So I think it was about a year ago. Yeah, it must have been a year or two. So I was about fifteen when I first watched mm. it. And, um, mm. Yeah, it was Sky Movies. It was on late at night. It just started, and I just started watching it. And um, I was, oh, hang on, that's Jennifer Love Hewitt and all that mm. kind of stuff. And I started watching. Because that was about the time when everyone knew who she was, wasn't it? Really, yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt with "I Know What You Did Last Summer." Yeah, and I think it was. Just, yeah, it was. I know what your mom did last summer and whatever all the sequels they had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and. I just watched it and I just thought it was quite funny. I thought, oh, I really like this. I really like this. And I remember watching it again. And it was like on again later on, about a couple of weeks later. Mm. And I watched it. And I thought, oh, this is really good. And I think, I, and I was, and I was thought, you know, I'll, I'll wait and get the DVD. I could never find a DVD mm. um, or the VHS of it. Back in the days of VHS. Oh, those halcyon <laughs> days. Yeah, yeah. Don't know you were born, your kids. Don't... When it went Albert Fields, <laughs> yeah. Tramwell King. Yeah. You had to go up to the TV and push a button to rewind. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, having to, having to rewind VHS tapes yeah. is God, something I quite yeah. happily leave in the because back. it seems it seems easier than just to change the bloody batteries in the remote. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember trying to look for the film for ages and ages. And I remember one Christmas, I think no, it was Christmas or birthday. My sister, and my mum actually found it mm. and gave me the, the DVD for Christmas. Mm. Like happiest kid ever. Yeah. Um, but before that, my mate had it on VHS, and I remember him lending me and. I can remember. I think I borrowed it for a week, and I must have and I f- must have watched it every day. Mm. I had it, and one of the days, and one of the days I watched it twice. Wow! Yeah, it's still the only film that I've probably ever seen twice in one day. Yeah, well, in succession. So I rewound it and watched it again. That yeah, that, that's that shows you love it. Yeah, I'm yeah. not even sure I've ever done that. Yeah, with 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 the film. I'll have to tell you what it's about now. If you don't, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to tell you what it's about now. Yeah. It's very much in the similar vein to the stories that take place over one night or one day. It's in a way very similar to stuff like The Breakfast Club and Empire Records. Um, mm. Empire Records is another film I quite like. Yeah, it's, it's share, a really good and film. And it, it also shares a cast member in it as well, in Ethan Embry. Whereas Ethan Embry's character, he's a guy called, he's like a writer who's going off to a workshop for Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. Yeah, Bob Vonnegut. Mm. I didn't realise it was Kurt Vonnegut the last time I watched it, he was going to. Ethan Embry's character, Brett Preston, um, he's pretty much been in love with this um, girl called Amanda, who's played by Jennifer Hewitt for a year, like, since she started for, for all four years of high school. And But I don't, he, he doesn't know whether he, actually, he knows that she exists at all. So what happens then is that just before, after graduation, Amanda's boy, Amanda slash Jennifer Love Hewitt, her boyfriend breaks up with her because mm. he wants to go to college and she thinks he's some sort of orgy because he's a ma- massive jock. Mm. Breaks up with her and that, that's the gossip throughout. The start, the start of the film is basically um, people in like, graduation 
gossiping about all these kid characters mm. and stuff. And then, did you hear Marty broke up with Amanda Beck? Oh, this party's gonna be amazing. And then this, and Ethan Embry's character finds it, and he has this letter that he's that he wrote that he's been revising for about four years that he wants to give to them, say like you're the best person ever, that kind of stuff. And um, he decides to go to this party and takes um, his best friend, um, who's played by Lauren Ambrose from Six Feet Under, who's very much an acidic anti-establishment. Uh, I hate high school type person. Yeah. Who just doesn't get on with everybody and everything. And then they go there, and there's like a couple, and then there's a couple of other subplots that happen, mainly about this, this, these six characters. So you've got Ethan Embry's character, who's lusting after Jennifer Hewitt's character. You've got Lauren Ambrose's character, who's the best friend of Ethan Embry. You've got Mike Dexter, who is Amanda's ex-boyfriend. Then you've got then you've got two other characters: um, William Lichter, who's played by Charlie Crossovero. I think his name is. Um, I think it's his last. I think it's like his last film he did because mm. I think the only other film he did before him because he was he was a child actor. Mm. And the only other thing I can think of him on the top of my head, he was he he was Robin Williams' son in Hook. Um, and the other character is one of my favourite film characters of all time. He's a guy called Kenny Fisher, and he's played by Seth Green, who's this wannabe white <laughs> gangster rapper person whose main main mission is to lose his virginity by the end of the night. Yeah, you've just shown me a clip of that. He's very, it's he, his first he, scene. And he is very funny in it, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, Seth Green is just... There are moments where you see actors who seem to absolutely love the role they're doing. Mm. And usually, the, the, the example I give is Robert De Niro in Stardust. <laughs> who, who just seems <laughs> who seems to just love the, what he's doing. So you seem to love that a bit too much. Yeah, but, <laughs> and Seth Green, Seth Green just seems to have an absolute whale of a time mm. playing this like wannabe gangster. Who ends he ends up locked in a bathroom with um, Lauren Ambrose's character, mm. and then like, and like they have to kind of like get out. The, the, you find out they've like, known each other for years and mm. used to be friends, and then he become all gangster and that kind of stuff. Whereas. Ethan Embry's character is trying to get the courage to give his letters to Jennifer Hewitt. William Lichter, the geek, or Robin Williams' son in Hook, mm. is going, he's trying to get his ultimate revenge on Mike Dexter mm. um, for basically four years of bullying. and But then ends up getting quite drunk and becomes the life of the party. And it, so, tonally, is it is it like an American Pie kind of gross-out kind of thing? It's not a gross-out comedy. Is it, is it more of a... Is it biting? Is it does it have that kind of edge to it, or is it quite a, quite a, a teen? It's very it's quite teen. What's the tone? It's very teen. It's it's very light hearted. It's a lot more character based and a lot more. Mm. It feels a bit soapy in places, but it's mm. a lot more hearty. It's it, a lot. It doesn't go for any gross out stuff. This was a year before American Pie mm. brought back the whole gross corkies kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot. It's a lot more. It's a lot more like Empire Records or a lot more kind of like the eighties relationship right. type stuff. Okay. So yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. The, and it's and you've got like six characters that change over the course of one mm. night. So it's these six characters, and um, there's a lot of a lot of thema- like a lot of themes that run through it. Um, mm. For example, uh, the character of Ethan Embry's got a very strong view that there's ideas of fate, which the film kind of carries on. So he, he's he's on the belief that there must be a reason that he's at this party with holding this letter and there must be a reason that Amanda's broken up with her boyfriend and that the, there's some sort of connection between them and the film does kind of, does really like pick up on the idea that there might be fate or if, if there's some sort of free will around and that's, mm. some, that's actually something I'm quite interested in myself actually like the idea of whether there's fate or free will and I've, I've, I've always found that interesting in terms of 
story stories and stuff. You, like. You've all, you've always you've always been very drawn. I mean, you know, we I know you were not just as a, as a friend and, and everything, but I know you as a writer as well. And it's it's something you've always been very drawn to team relationships in a way. Well, uh, I think, yeah, you no, know, yeah, relationships definitely, but very much team relationships to to some extent as well. And that kind of in in a way that because team relationships are very different from relationships a bit later on or, or even younger in that they're, they're still full of lots of different whether or not they're going to they're fail or succeed there's an element of hope with them all and that yeah. kind of you know burgeoning kind of aspect that's, that's really yeah. interesting and you don't get that with a lot but a lot when you get into you know relationships when people are older they're often quite messed up or they've got baggage whereas team romances and team relationships are a lot more pure and it's interesting because you quite often like taking a satirical side swipe at things like that yeah. and you like to see the comedy in them yeah, and that's something I think why you're drawn to films like yeah, this. Yeah, it's but it, it's not outright comedic. Well, it's a comedy, mm. and there's like a lot more witty, but it's not it's not very satirical on stuff because it's a lot more. Um, I mean, there's a, there's like for like halfway through the film, he's an embryo that Preston walks in to find mm. Amanda kissing this guy, but what he doesn't know is that he's like this half cousin of hers who's trying his luck. So mm. he walks off dejected, throws the letter the letter that he held into mm. the trash. But then the letter slowly starts making its way of its own accord. Running, like the wind blows it onto this like piece of bubble gum that walks mm. onto one's foot and on this bowl onto onto like a DJ and DJ's disc and flies everywhere. Yeah. Right into Jennifer Love Hewitt, in front of Jennifer Love Hewitt. She reads the letter and then she spends the latter half of the film trying to find out who this Preston guy is. And um, it crosses over and there's a scene with her. Uh, I don't know if you know Jenna Elfman? Yeah. From Dom and Greg? Yeah. Yeah, she appears as this angel who like Angel and this it's quite a funny scene where um, Preston's whole con- bit of faith is faith oh yeah faith is being questioned and basically because before they go into the house and he's quite he's, he's determined that it's faith he hears Mandy from uh, Barry, by Marion Manilow in the car yeah and he goes like it's faith it's faith this must must be a sign that things are supposed to happen and the friend goes you know it's about his dog right he goes no <laughs> shut up about the dog and then when and then he's there he's like just sitting there going like. This, this can't be right, this can't be right. And, and then he, he, he tries to then phone Barry Manilow, look up through to Barry Manilow, who's on top, basically on the phone to him, this, this girl, this woman, this stripper's, uh, General Alfred, plays a stripper, and she wants to get a car, mm. um, basically a car fix or get a taxi. Mm. It's very important. And he goes, no, my, my call's not more important. Hi, I've got a question for Barry Manilow. And he basically hangs up and he just starts having this free case. Yeah. It, 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 leads, it leads to General Alfred talking about her massive crush on Scott Bale and starts to believe that his memories in love with Barry Manilow, yeah. but the idea there's a, there's a moment there which is on about fate and that there is fate and it does take yourself so far, but then there's like you have to do stuff for your own, you you have to have that final push mm. to make sure that if what you want something, yeah, things can lead to that that way, but it's still ultimately down to you. There's still an element of free will. And stuff. It's that it's that really strong teenage message, isn't it? Really, yeah, you know, not, beyond empowerment and you know making sure that you. You try and control your own destiny as much as you yeah. can. Yeah, but I think that you, you find that kind of stuff in uh, wherever. Like mm. it's in life stuff. affirming. Though yeah. it's, and that's a bit like Empire Records. What was like that? Those eighties uh, John Hughes films. They like had maybe Billy a pink and breakfast Yeah, that they, they they had a certain life affirming quality, and that the you know you you cared about the people involved, even though some of them were misguided or they they were a bit unclaimed. Not you know Clay Cuckoo yeah. Land. They they were they were good people, as opposed to sometimes when you get these gross out. Teen comedies that are all f- that are probably funnier in in general, but they they don't necessarily have that level of emotional depth or mm-hmm. connection to 
to people, which clearly you have with Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I feel like a lot of stuff very that I have a lot in common with the main character of Preston. Mm. Anyway, got like a very similar outlook mm. on things, and got a lot of stuff that he talks about. I feel quite the same as well. And yeah, there's a, there's a section. There's there's a, like an, a soliloquy where he like he seems to speak to himself and goes, "I don't know about you, I really believe that there's someone out there for everybody, and that fate brings to the amount that I, I need to know. It's it's not about this, this, and this. It's just sort of need to know if there's a reason." for stuff happening and things that happen and if that if that's the reason I mean is that right because this foreign exchange student who are in the film has just been taught these crude film crude phrases and goes would you like to touch my penis <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually and, and from, from the main section there's like bits throughout the film like little subplots there's a there's like Brecklenmeyer Brecklenmeyer and Donald Faison are part of this group Lovburger, mm. and they go, and like uh, they're about to form at the, the form at the party, and then um, it's about to start. And Brecklemeyer has a freak out because someone's wearing a shirt at the band. And he goes, "You don't wear the shirt at the band you're in." He goes, and Donald Faison goes, "If he wears a shirt, I get to wear the hat." And starts putting his cowboy hat on yeah. and stuff, and and like he's pretty like the band has like you don't hear any of the band, and they kind of break up, and then about to mm. reform before the cops come storm in. Yeah, there's like these little sub characters that come through, played by a lot of people you recognise. Mm. Eric Balfour from Haven, who's like mm. Jesse from Buffy and the Vampire Slayer, turns up at one point. He, and he's, he's one of these actors you see in the back end of everything. Mm. Um, I think Freddie from Six Feet Under appears as a side character as well. Young Jason Siegel. Yeah, he, he's, as well. Yeah, but he's, he's only in one scene now. Um, he's in a scene that's been cut out because when you're about to <laughs> He's credited stuff, as Matt Watermelon Guy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the, only reason, the only reason they're actually known is that because, because there, was a, there was a. From the commentary, there was actually a book a novelization mm. and in in the script there was known as Watchman and Guy or Drunk Guy One or Drunk Girl or Mike's Friend One, Mike's Friend Two, Amanda's Friend One and and that's what there's known as in the script. Mm. Then there was given all names by the author of the novelization because they couldn't write those <laughs> names. But Jason Siegel was cut out. There's a bit there's a bit in the trailer where he walks out saying, I've been filming this thing for like five four years and he drops it on the floor. Every reference to alcohol drug taping is cut out there's, a, there's um, an actress I can't remember who the name of the actress but she played Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch movie mm. and she's basically um, this really drunk girl who would walk around and people ask her questions and she'd tell everyone everything she knows everything a dialogue so slurred it's subtitled yeah. so, like, no, so like Amanda's trying to find Preston and goes oh I know Preston he was in your class I got his address his phone number everything but all you can hear is no, 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 no. <laughs> but that she was cut out there's yeah. um there's a bit where um, like the CGI uh, like an orange slice um, on William on William's hands because originally he goes drinks it drinks his shot and goes I can't feel my legs I have no legs but you just see this little orange thing floating on his hands mm. floating on his hands and it cuts to him drinking afterwards and there's a section where William and Mike are, I mean it's like heart to heart and you see and they've got two glasses they cling together and they immediately drop it down mm. because they're supposed to drink it but because they wanted to get a uh, is it PG-13? Mm. Right. They had to cut out all the drinking stuff. So mm. it's actually quite mild. So a lot of the stuff about alcohol, there's like loads it's of little stuff. Yeah, and it does it does make a few... Like when, you, when you notice them, I mean, the bit where like pretty much the clean glasses are drinking but they need to put it down, mm. that kind of stuff you notice straight away. When, you, when you've got your eye on it, you know yeah. that always kind of niggles me that, that they pretty much cut a lot of the mm. drug stuff out. Well, the drunk... 
yeah, the principal. Makes you wonder if that was a decision of the, the people behind it. And it's interesting looking at the... Um, yeah, because there's, there's a whole section on it on the Wikipedia. It's interesting looking at the uh, direct the people who directed it and wrote and directed it. A combo, Harry Alfont and Deborah Kaplan. The only other film they wrote and directed was Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. And they, they were responsible for screenplays for, among others... The Flintstones in Beaver Rock Vegas, Maid of Honor, and Leap Year. Now, Leap Year is the only one of those I've seen, and it's it's a, an atrocity to put it mildly, right? So it's interesting that Can't Hardly Wait, which was their first one, uh, their first directed film, might actually be their best one, you know. So it's no wonder that because they haven't done anything since Leap Year, and quite frankly, I hope they never do anything again. If, if, if Leap Year is what they're going to go on, but it's interesting how you know. Can't hardly wait. Of probably all of all of them, Josie and the Pussycats is also a bit of a cult film, but it's 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 it still got a bit of a cult. I've not seen it either, but it's, I know it's got a bit of a cult following. But Can't Hardly Wait, I think, has the most of the, of the little cult following of, of, of all of them. And yeah. it's, it's you know it, it's um, clearly a bit of its time. Finally, then, what if so? If you said right, go and watch Can't Hardly Wait. Somebody said Can't Hardly Wait. What was what's the main reason for them to go and dig out this? This late nineties teen comedy because it's light-hearted, light-hearted fun with a bit of a message behind it. Nicely put. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for that, Matt. It's uh, it was a revelation to not be talking about Demolition Man. Uh, oh, that's what I was supposed to talk about. Yes. I'm oh. sorry. Should we? Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to save that for another time. Yeah. You you clearly forgot that one, didn't you? I know. Yeah. But no, thank you. I'm going to go and check out Can't Hardly Wait. And uh, I suggest you do the same. So cheers, Matt. No problem. Alas, now Mr. Latham has departed. That brings us to the end of another Black Hole Cinema today. All I can say is thank you for tuning in, as ever. Still topping uh, some good downloads. So I'm appreciating anyone who's listening to this. Uh, We now have our own dedicated Twitter, at Black Hole Cinema. And I thought it was about time to for this podcast it's, it's doing fairly well you know it's starting to get more people listening which is which is great steady steps you know but I thought it'd be nice to have my own Twitter for this separate from my own personal one so you can follow uh, the podcast at at Black Hole Cinema simple and please do add please feel free to ask any questions talk to me about film I'm quite on it quite a lot right now posting as much as possible putting all my letterboxed reviews on there as well so uh, and lots of retweets of film stuff so hopefully it'll be quite entertaining and talking about when I get to the cinema and things like that so yeah please give us a follow and I'll be back next week for uh, a few more reviews of uh, definitely two films which I've already seen possibly another one and there may be another film related chat possibly next time so we'll see how it goes but until then have a happy Easter And a great week watching films. Take care, guys. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.